Well, none of us expected to be in a place like this, even a couple of days ago. We're sheltering in place wherever we are, but here we are. Here I am. There you are, wherever you are, watching me online. But the truth is that wherever we are, we are really all in this together. And it's important in a time when lots of stuff is going on that's very stressful and very unfamiliar and strange to us, out there in the world and right here inside of our hearts, it's important for us all to, to deal with what's going on in a very unfamiliar time the best way that we can. And a lot of that has to do with how you look at things. For example, just yesterday, word got out from Governor Gavin Newsom that apparently 56% of Californians could be infected by the COVID-19 virus in the next eight months. And believe me, maybe like you, I got all sorts of people in kind of a panic saying, oh my gosh, did you hear what the governor said? Until later on, it was pointed out that what he really said and meant was that if we do nothing to mitigate the virus's spread, that's how, how things could get really bad. That's where that 56% comes from. So there's no reason to panic. There's no reason to panic and spread rumors and things like that. But here we are anyway. We're still dealing with a lot of stress, a lot of things going on inside and outside of us. We're doing lots of things, social distancing, we are sheltering in place, we're washing our hands and all the rest. Health authorities tell us that if we each try to do our best to follow the uh, recommendations and the instructions that we're all getting, we lessen the risk of exposing vulnerable people to the virus and then getting them sick and then sending them to hospitals and overwhelming our healthcare system. And that's reason enough for us to keep our physical distance from each other, at least for a time. Doesn't make it easy though, absolutely not. It's not easy for me, it's not easy for you. And then there's this for all of us as Christians. If Jesus, if Jesus is our model, for how to reach out and touch people and heal people and care for people, then it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around the idea that we're supposed to be staying away from each other. Now, some of you aren't staying away from each other. You're on the front lines. You are face-to-face, hand-to-hand helping people, whether you are a, a, a caregiver in a hospital or a clinical setting, or you are... Um, a provider of first responder, or you're working in a grocery store, or a pharmacy, a gas station, all these other places. And I gotta say that on behalf of all the rest of us, we are really so grateful, so grateful for what you're doing. But for all the rest of us, those who are trying to shelter in place, the question is what can we do to get through this time together? Well, as a church, we can be in contact with each other, and we're, we're doing that, and we'll do a lot more of that in the days and weeks ahead, be in contact especially with those who are vulnerable, lonely, to offer our assistance and support. We can gather together online in groups. We've already done that. A few of the groups have met that way, and more will. We can pray. 
Most of all, though, what I think we need to do is try to stay calm as best we can. We each do that in our own ways, of course. For me, the way that I try to stay calm is I look for familiar things, things that remind me of normalcy in a time that is anything but normal. For example, in our worship service last week, we reflected a bit on Psalm 23, which is a a psalm, a, a passage of scripture that many of us have memorized. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Those are familiar and soothing words to many of us. They've been that way for generations, Christians, Jews, others. Although, maybe you notice something a bit unusual about how I just read that psalm. As I said, most of it seemed or sounded familiar, ordinary, but there was some of it missing, too. That's kind of like the life we're all leading now. You know, things seem really familiar in so many ways, but there are things missing right now too. Important things. You know, when I was younger, every time I would try to recite from memory the 23rd Psalm, I would skip right over a few verses there in the middle. I'd go straight from the valley of the shadow of death to surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And that's what I just did here today when I read the 23rd Psalm out loud, I left out three little verses. In that brief metaphorical switch where just for a moment, God is transformed from a reliable good shepherd into a sort of thoughtless dinner host. Here are the missing words. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And I have to say that, taken out of context, those are some pretty weird words. Pretty strange image there. I mean, why on earth would God want to make dinner for me and serve it right in front of the people who hate my guts, my enemies? I can hardly think of a a less, less peaceful or calm thing than that. So what's going on here? Well, tradition tells us that the person who wrote the psalm, like many of the other psalms, was King David. And when he wrote it, he was on the run. He had lots of enemies. They were chasing him hither and yon throughout uh, Judah and and, uh, the north. And the whole time, he says, that God provided for him. 
That's what that psalm's all about, that God provided for King David as he was on the run. And to understand maybe a little bit of what's going on here, a theologian named Kenneth Bailey pointed out years ago that in the ancient world, there was, a, there was social, set of social rules called the law of the desert. And it says that if a stranger comes to your home or to your camp, you have to show them hospitality. No, no matter who they are, where they come from, you have to take care of them. And then there's a second part of the law, too, that holds that even if you are being chased by your enemies at night, when you arrive at the campfire of a host, your enemy must stay as far away from you as the light extends from the fire. And when you consider that, the psalm starts to make some sense. It says that, Whenever you find yourself afraid or on the run, God is preparing a safe and welcoming place for you. Whatever it is that threatens your life has to keep its distance from the light, from the light of God's love and support and protection. And that brings us to the second image in this passage where it says that God will anoint your head with oil. Years ago, a guy named Philip Keller, who was actually a shepherd, he wrote a pretty well-known little book on the 23rd Psalm. And when he got to this part of the psalm, he says that sheep have a problem with a pest that's called the nose fly. Fly lays its eggs in the sheep's nose, and then they hatch, and the nose gets infected. So 20, or sorry, 2,000 years ago, a good Palestinian shepherd would smear a mixture of olive oil or sulfur and spices on the sheep's nose. He'd literally anoint its head with oil. And as Keller says, what an incredible transformation this made among the sheep. Once the oil was applied to their heads, there was an immediate change in behavior. Gone was the frenzy, aggravation, irritability, and restlessness, replaced by a soothing sense of calm. It's a pretty good picture of where we are all today, too. There's an infection out there. We're afraid of it, what it could do to us, what it could do to those we love. And what we all desperately want, what we're seeking above all, is relief from uncertainty, restlessness, sickness, fear. And so we come to the verse in the psalm that says, My cup runneth over. And you know, each one of us, as a human being, we all have a cup. It's our perspective on life. How we look at things at any given time is our cup, as you know, half full or half empty or totally empty or, you know, brimming over. There's a story about two men who were in the same hospital room. One of them was allowed to sit up in bed for an hour every afternoon to clear the fluid from his lungs to let it drain. And his bed was next to the only window in the room. 
The other guy spent his whole day and night lying flat on his back. And every afternoon when the guy who was in the bed next to the window would sit up, he would pass the time by describing all the amazing things he saw from out that window. He'd describe it for his roommate. The man in the other bed began to live for these times when he would hear about what was going on in the outside world. The window overlooked a park with a lovely lake, and ducks and swans were playing on the water while children sailed their model boats. Young lovers walked arm in arm in the midst of flowers of every color, and a fine view of the whole city skyline could be seen in the distance. As the man by the window described all this stuff to the other guy in exquisite detail, the man by the door would close his eyes and imagine the scene. And days and weeks passed like this. Then one morning, the day nurse came in and noticed that the man in the bed by the window had passed away peacefully in his sleep. She called the hospital attendants to take the body away, and as soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he could be moved to the bed next to the window. So the switch was made, and then slowly, painfully, he propped himself up on his elbow to have his first look at the world outside. And he realized he was looking at a blank wall. Turns out, he asked the nurse, what could have compelled the, the guy who'd been in the bed before, the man who had died, what could have compelled him to describe such wonderful things outside of this window? And the nurse responded that the man was actually blind. He couldn't even see the wall. She said, perhaps he just wanted to encourage you. You know, that's kind of our job these days, too, right now. To take care of ourselves and each other, to take the barrenness of whatever it is that surrounds us, whatever has us beaten down or isolated or sick or afraid, to broaden our perspective as best we can and to find a place of peace and calm. Someone once asked Mother Teresa how she found peace in her life, and she responded, It happens every night when I go to sleep. I gather up all the things that are bothering me, and I turn them over to God, because he's going to be up all night anyway. That's a pretty good way of thinking about prayer. It's not the only way, of course. So this moment, today, I want to close by teaching you or reminding you of another way to pray. It's called centering prayer. It's something you can do once a day or more often, whatever you like, and it only takes a couple of minutes. It can take one minute, it can take five minutes, it can take 20 minutes. And it's very simple. So I invite all of you, wherever you are, whatever setting you're in, to get into a comfortable position. Take a moment. Maybe put your feet on the floor, 
your hands in your lap. And if you're comfortable, I invite you to close your eyes. And if not, just close your eyes slightly and focus your attention gently on something before you, maybe on a candle, like we have a candle here in our sanctuary. And take time now that you're in a position where you're centered in your body, your eyes closed or gently closed. Take some time to focus on your breathing, just to quiet down your mind and your heart. We're just going to take about a minute in quiet. Focus on your breathing, the up and the down, this breath and the next. And now, as we're focusing on our breathing, I invite you to think of a single, simple word that expresses your response to God's presence. It could be something like faith, or Father, or Spirit, or love, or peace, or Jesus, whatever it is. Focus on that word and repeat it silently in your mind. And whenever you become aware of anything else coming up in your mind, just come back to the word that you've chosen. Try as best you can to focus on it. Distractions are natural, normal, unavoidable, but just come back to your word as best you can. And we'll take just about a minute to focus, to center on the Word and God's presence. And now I'm going to invite you to slowly come out of this centering prayer. I invite you to open your eyes. Be present in the space that you're in, wherever you are. And enjoy whatever sense of peace and calm you experience. 
As I said, you can come back to this space anytime you feel like it. You can do it just a couple minutes. You can do it for 20 minutes, once a day more, whatever it is. But try to come back to it. Come back to God. Come back to your senses, to your true self, when so much in this world is running around like crazy, making you feel uncomfortable, making you feel anxious, scared, whatever it is. Come back to the center. That is God's presence in your life. And as I said, wherever you are, wherever we are, as we shelter in place, the truth is that we're all in this together and that God is in it with us too. Amen.